I don't need you to like everything I'm doing. I need you to be effective. Like if you walk and you're like, eh, that's not it. Like dislike it. It made you feel something. That's to me what art is. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is the place where we shine the light and or find the light in the darkness to prove there is still good out there and so much of it. So much. This is World Gone Good. Support the good by sharing the show with your friends, subscribing wherever you are listening in on us right now. And yes, please, please. We love when you rate and review us. We love your approval. (laughs) If you have a minute, critique away each and all of these options of sharing, subscribing, rating, and reviewing help new people find our good little show. And for assisting us in spreading the good, we say, as always, thank you. Today is our first new interview of season three. And we're kicking things off in a big way with a Tony Award-winning actress, none other than Ms. Tanya Pinkins. She is an actress, she is a writer, she is a producer, she is a director, and she herself will tell you she is the head chef on some specific project, which we're going to get to in a second here. She is an artist in the truest of ways, living her life fully through engagement and listening. Now, we are quickly coming up on Halloween, and you know how I love Halloween, and that is one of the big reasons I asked her here, Tanya, is all the things I just named said about her. She's a writer, producer, director, actor, and yes, we talked about this, head chef of her own horror film, Red Pill. But wait, is this a horror movie? Or is this a slice of true life or a mix of both? I'm going to let Tanya explain her good. Tanya Pinkins, I don't even know where to start. I mean, look, I'm going to hold this up. That's just page one and two. Hold on, there's more. And three. These are all the things I would like to talk about today. Okay. I got a lot to talk about. But this is where I'm going to start. Tanya Pinkins. We're going wide. What is good about Tanya Pinkins? What is good about Tanya Pinkins? Um, I think that I have gotten wiser as I've gotten older. And I've reached the point in my life where I'm pretty accepting of most things. And I'm pretty accepting of myself and my feelings, not in my feelings. I just am like, oh, it's all good. It's 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 lovely to be at a place where I'm not focused on trying to change the outside. So do you feel you're you embrace your enough, if that's something? I embrace where I am, is what I would say. Enough, I'm always thirsty for more. I'm like super curious, super want more all the time. Like I always want more. So enough. No, because as long as I'm here, I'm going to be like questing for something. Do you have a theme song that would play if you walked into a room? Oh, man, I can't think of one right now, but I will before we get off. I will think of one. (laughs) Okay, we won't play it because we can't afford to pay for it. But (laughs) right. There's a song that I used in this series of show 
this show I had called um, Truth and Reconciliation of Women. And gosh, I can't think of the song right now. I have to pull up my um, playlist for that song to find out that song because it's a really, really great, great song. You're a Tony Award winner, a Drama Desk Award winner, an Obie Award winner, an L.A. Drama Critics Circle Award winner, a Lucille Lortel Award winner. Yeah, I've won a lot of awards. <laughs> Do you have a favorite <laughs> moment of, of that feeling of winning something? What does it mean you to know, you? You know how they talk about never as good as the first time? <laughs> you know? The first time I ever got my first uh, nomination, I think it was the drama desk. And of course, winning the Tony, you know, and then I think after you win one, you're like greedy. You just want more. You just want more. But I don't know that it feels any better to get more. And there's sometimes when I feel like the work I did that year should have gotten an award. You give me an award for that. Because <laughs> you won for Jelly's Last Jam. You mm-hmm. won for Caroline or Change. No, I did not win for Caroline or Change. You did People not win for Caroline or Change. Okay. I did not win. People think I won. I should have won, but I didn't. <laughs> this is an example. That's an example. I should have won. Right. And I come from I come from nowhere near your level, but a background of theater myself. What is good about theater and what is good about that moment of being on stage and being present? When you are on stage and all the circumstances are right, You've got a good audience. You're working with great actors. I think it's like sex. It's it's kinetic. You don't know what's going to happen next. It fills you up. You know, it's just like, you. ooh, it's thrilling. It's electrical. And the audience also plays a part in that. Like the audience is another partner. You can play the audience. That's one of the things I love to do. It's like, you know, I'm playing a character and I like do things. I want to, you know, make the audience dislike me because then there's the joy of getting them back on my side. <laughs> yeah. There's a give and take that, that feeling and yeah. that presence in that moment. Do you have a show? And it's never going to happen again. Like this night, right. never going to happen again. Right. Even though you're going to do it eight more times that weekend. Right. This one was never going to be again. Do you have a role that like you read the script and you're like, Oh my God, it's me. That moment. I see myself in that specific moment. I don't think I've ever read anything like that, but Carolina change was certainly that for me. You also are known for daytime dramas. You did as mm-hmm. the world turns, you did all my children. You did a pretty long run on all my children. And you got to be married to one of Erica's ex-husbands. I did. Now this Tom is Cudahy. Tom Cudahy. Now this is the '90s. This is going into the 2000s. A black woman marries a white man. Um, we all know that there's no race anything going on in America right now. That's a giant joke. I just saw your eyes go huge. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like playing that storyline then? You know, I think. The, the love triangle was Tom Cudahy and um, Richard. What is Richard's lesson? There were two Richards. That's the crazy thing. My my guy was, um, oh man, Richard Schoberg. And oh, I'm seeing his face and I can't remember his name, but he was also a Richard Lawson. 
So I had Richard Schoberg and Richard Lawson. And Richard, I mean, Richard Schoberg is the sweetest, you know, he's a really good looking, handsome guy. But Richard Lawson is a sex idol. He's like married to Beyonce's mother. So you're just like, you know, we was like, how's she going to pick Schoberg over Lawson? (laughs) But she did. And also. And we didn't have any sex. We didn't get to have much of a life at all. <laughs> well, when now you've you've been quoted as saying because when you started on the show, the character of Livy was written one way. Yeah, but then they sort of what do we want to say? Water her down? Yeah, that about her. No, I think that that happens to me a lot. Um, I am like a force, and it's exciting to people, and then after a while it starts to be like intimidating it starts to make people uncomfortable and so they want to like they want to dampen it um one of my one of my uh my teachers once said you know you're just too interesting even when you're doing nothing and there would be times when he'd be like yeah you're gonna get fired from that show because you're more interesting than the stars of the show and it has happened to me a number of times where directors have just said yeah i can't take my eyes off you and this is not your show do you think that's because you live in the moment? I think I'm really present. I think I'm, I I think listening is very powerful. I think that we so rarely listen that when we see someone who's really listening, it's very compelling for us because we all want to be listened to. And so I think that there's something very compelling about watching somebody genuinely listen. I remember this actor, Rocky Carroll, and I did the piano lesson from him. And he is one of the best listeners on stage I've ever witnessed. You could watch the play through him listening to everybody else. Do you think the universe is listening to you? I hope so. Have there been moments in your life where you can point at and go, yep? Yeah, there are definitely moments in my life. I think there's sort of like vortexes that happen where I'm aware that um, there's like a a power vortex around me and where I have to be very conscious of my word medicine because I will speak it and it will come to pass. And so uh, when that happens, I'm like, okay, let's, you know, make sure what you're saying because the word is becoming law. Now you have a project you started called Red Pill. And, mm-hmm. and, and let me just go through this for one quick second. You're the writer, the producer, the director, and the actor. I've done that one and the time. Cook. And the good, right, right. I've done that one time and never again. Really? Why? For me, it's very hard to be on a stage or be in front of a camera. Not that I've been on the front of the camera anywhere near the amount of times you have, but it's very hard to be the director and act because I'm watching everybody through the, you know, through my, my peripherals, are we all hating our beats? Is the camera where it needs to be? Are the lights where it needs to be? Of those jobs, writer, producer, director, actor on this specific project, and we're going to talk about this project in depth here. Did you have a favorite of those four, five? I, it being the chef, was the chef? Producing, the directing. <laughs> Producing, directing was my favorite part. I felt like I had finally found uh, a container that was big enough to contain what I like to do. And I definitely could have given up the acting. I could have totally given up the acting. It's like, yeah, this is just not that interesting. (laughs) 
this is a this is a horror movie, and I got to look over my notes here. Someone who it, Red Pill is someone who infiltrates the group and then destroys it from the inside out. Do you know what the red pill is? Well, in some circles, a red pill is someone who infiltrates a group and then destroys them from the inside. Did you hear about the creature woman that attacked a father and son hunting down here? Good. I hope she killed them. What is that? Like Sanskrit or that Arabic? It looks like Sanskrit. Save the Middle East. Yeah, it's not even the Middle West. myself as someone who um, is very connected to the pulse of where I am. I can hang out with anybody. I can be comfortable in any group of people. I could definitely hang out with some MAGA people, some proud boys. We could hang out and have a good time. I feel like I kind of have a sense of what the future holds it's not like I'm a fortune teller. I'm just feeling the energies from all these places where most people sort of limit themselves to their group. And so when 2016 was happening, the outcome of that election was so obvious. I just couldn't understand why people didn't get it. And people would get very, you know, they get, they get kind of hostile when you would even mention what, what was going to happen, what did happen. And so when it came to 2020, I had a sense of what was going to happen again. And I was like, there's just no point in talking about it because the hostility that I got was so intense. The first time I was like, you know what, I'm going to make a movie about it. And people can tell me how ridiculous it is. And that's fine. It can be ridiculous. I think that's the joy of horror is you can put outrageous things in it, but it's just a fantasy. It's just a, you know, it's just a horror movie. So I got to put these things in this movie that was like, well, this is what I think is going to happen. And, you know, after the movie came out, people were like, so did you write this after January 6th? I'm like, no, (laughs) no. Now, let's go back for a second, because when you say you could hang out with the MAGA, you could hang out with the Proud Boys, I know that's, that you're, that's not at the top of your list, I'm sure, for a, a Friday or Saturday night. But my question is, do you think you could be your authentic self? Oh, I would totally be my authentic self. We, would, we, we, we could hang out because they're ultimately people. You know what is, I find interesting? I always say this, that a, a downright person who would think of themselves as being anti-Black is often easier to be with than a so-called liberal, a progressive, because there's an authenticity to them. They're in integrity with themselves. And I think that if you were to meet any of them, there are Black people that are their friends. There are gay people that are their friends. And they're not included in the ones they don't like. (laughs) 
You know right. what I mean? Right. They have the people that they like and they they get, you know, special treatment. Whereas people who are performing a political correctness about what I should like and what is appropriate to like, when you get in a pinch and like somebody's got to put some skin in the game, they're going to save their asses and they're throwing you under the bus. <laughs> Tell everybody what Red Pill is about. Well, Red Pill is about how both the Democrats and the Republicans are, neither of them are good or have figured out a way to have things work for each other. And just watching the way both groups fuck it up (laughs) in very different ways, the way both groups contribute to the chaos on the planet in very different ways. Do you think it's a deadly sin thing? Do you think pride is getting here and gluttony and envy and all those things that are getting in their way and our way as a, as a culture and a nation? Well, honestly, like I, I edited Red Pill in Korea. And so I spent a couple of months there and it gave me this much deeper appreciation for the polarity of America because you know, the group is most important in Korea. And I got to witness some of my artist friends being really constrained and really stressed and and and, and in a lot of pain because what their heart wanted them to do versus what the expectations were for them, it was really, really painful. And so I, I came back to America and I was like, you know, where have we got this big polarity, but maybe that's the balance of the universe. You just got to have both sides because... People can get to be what they want to be. And I, I really, yeah, I just think like I started to go, we need to have both sides. It's the balance. Something you touch on in the movie, if I'm understanding the movie, right. And correct me if I'm not, that's your job. (laughs) But you probably found things in the movie that I didn't know was in the movie. I mean, that's the exciting thing about art is you make this thing, you have these things you want to say, and then people tell you, and you're like, oh, that's, oh, you're right. I, I, you know, that's to me uh, what makes being a, a creator also interactive is that you 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 talk to your audience and then they tell you things they liked or didn't like. And I like that. Like, I don't need you to like everything I'm doing. I need you to be affected. Like if you walk and you're like, that's not it. Like dislike it. It made you feel something. That's to me what art is. Yeah, well, because we come with our own perspective and our own, you know, years of background and where we grew up and that's how we look at things. Yeah. And if you didn't like it and it made you want to go and make something against it, go for it. Like it inspired something in you. Like that to me is the point of art. You've said on that note that you think women are the most hated beings on the planet, even more than black people. I do. And mothers. I think because women have power, they have innate power and it's not power over. And Power is like the wind or fire. It just is. It doesn't have to do anything. One of my friends says women control the means of production. And that is a fact. And so there's a lot of energy spent trying to uh, argue with reality. Um, But the reality is that without uh, XX chromosomes, the species ends. And so, um, you know, people want to get control over them. And those are people who are in fear, fear of lack of something. And they know they don't have what women have. So they have to control women. So there's a fine line in horror between horror and comedy. What do you think about that? 
well, I have a very dark sense of humor and I like to laugh at really dark things. And I like horror. I like comedy with my horror. So, you know, Red Pill has my very peculiar sense of humor. I'm always going to give you some laugh before the worst possible thing. And I'm going to give you a laugh after. I like that kind of contrast. (laughs) Well, it's a ride, don't you think? Just like being on stage. It is a ride. It should be a roller coaster ride. Because if everything in comedy or horror is here, and everyone who's listening, my hand is in the air at the moment, then then it's just level. Then you're just flat, right? It's the dips and the valleys and the ups and the downs that keep us rolling along. So on that note, what is your favorite horror movie of all time? That would be a very hard call. I watch so many horror movies. Oh, I'm so happy. Different ones for different reasons. So there's a movie called Bedeviled, the Korean Bedeviled, which I love. And I love it because it breaks all kinds of rules of story structure. You meet this woman and she's awful, as the Koreans often do. The Koreans often have protagonists who are just awful people. And she's just awful for the whole movie. And then a whole bunch of really terrifying stuff happens. And then the last scene of the movie, she does a better thing. She makes a better choice. But it's like, she had to go through horror <laughs> in order to feel enough to be able to take a better action. So I love that movie. I love that movie. How did the lockdown and the pandemic affect you as a creator, affect you as an artist? It gave me space to go within myself. Um, It made me aware of how much energy you're expending when you're out in the world and going to places and being engaging with other people, like how much you're spending, spending, spending. And so it was like my my, um, fuel tank really filled up. I started painting. Um, I had also this opportunity to begin to sort of decolonize my mind, to find all the places where I had been miseducated. Um, and so it's been this ongoing process of continuing to peel away the layers of what I don't know and learning how much more I don't know and trying to learn more and, and redefining myself in my own terms rather than in terms and ideas that are put on me. And so I think on this side of the pandemic, I'm up for anything. Like, I remember there was this moment I was sitting on my balcony and I was thinking, gosh, I got this beautiful house and this beautiful balcony. I'm sitting on a sunset. It would be nice to share it with somebody, but I just don't have good relationships. I was thinking, well, what would you want in a relationship? I was like, well, the fiercest people I've ever met in my life are black women. And I was like, well, maybe I'm going to have to go out with a black woman. And I would never have thought of myself as gay, but I was like, they're the fiercest people, the most interesting people. And uh, why not? You know, like, just why not? Why, what, what's the story that it could be? That? <laughs> Tanya Pinkins is up for anything. <laughs> <laughs> speaking on that note, though, and speaking there, what do you think is good? And we use this a lot on the show. We say, what is good about this? What is good about that? Right. But what is good about telling your own story, telling your truth in whatever format? What would mm-hmm. you tell my audience? First of all, I would say that it's, the most important thing that 
ever, ever happens in the whole planet. If each of us told our story and somebody listened to it, we can't even know what the whole of this existence is until we've heard every single person's story, because every single story is part of the whole thing. And if you haven't heard all the stories, you don't know this whole amazing universe. So I really feel like you need to tell it and you need to tell it your way because there's no wrong way to tell your story. You know, yes, you can go to people and they might teach you craft, but they're teaching you craft that's inside this structure. And we know that all of these structures, whether it's Hollywood or publishing or the art market, it's all fake markets. They're people who control it. They decide, you know, randomly who they're going to pick, who they're not going to pick. So why focus your attention on trying to get picked to fit into this narrow slot when you could just tell your unique story in your way? There will be some people in the world who will be interested in that, who that will be, they will resonate with that. And I think that that's the most valuable thing about being an artist. Do you feel a responsibility to Black women as a Black female artist to represent them, to tell a story they can relate to? Do you feel that? Well, it's interesting that you should ask that question. I think when I made Red Pill, I thought I was making a story that was going to show a Black woman's point of view of being in America. You know, here, all these Black women, we we know what's going on. We can see when there's danger. We're warning everybody. We're being ignored. We're being um, gaslit. And then, so I was a little surprised, sad, hurt that there were a number of Black women who felt that it was just too violent, that it was traumatizing for them. And I will have to say that, I, I you know, I had to say to some women, I said, I, I didn't mean to traumatize you, but if it inspires you to, to do something in response to it, then, you know, I, I, great. Um, but I feel like there's this movement right now in our culture, in America, at least I don't know much about the rest of the world, where people want to control things that are outside of them. And I think it's kind of dangerous because we barely have control over ourselves. We definitely have zero control over anything outside of ourselves. And as James Baldwin said, you know, until you face it, you can't change it. So nothing that isn't faced can be changed. And so there's this thing now where people are like, we aren't doing Black trauma porn. And there are a lot of Black people who are on that wagon of no Black trauma porn. And my attitude about that is, well, you've just given, you know, the white establishment an excuse not to tell Black stories. Because now any historical story we want to tell is now trauma porn. And so what we're seeing is the rise of African content. Because African people, they get to tell their history because it's not an indictment of white America in any way. So now we're just going to just fade into non-existence because the Africans from Ghana, from South Africa, from Nigeria, they are telling their stories. And it's got the tragedy. It's got all the drama that you become an artist to get to do. But don't you think, too, like, and I'm a white person. You can see me. I'm basic pretty much. (laughs) Uh, Too fucking bad. Like, this is your, these are the stories. You need to hear these stories. There's a movement now. I've talked, I can't tell you how many executives 
black and white have said no to stories that I've wanted to tell that are historical pieces that I think are about bravery and courage. And they're like, well, does it, you know, like, does it have to be during the transatlantic slave trade? And they're like, well, like this particular thing that was going on only went on because there was transatlantic slave trade. Like these people got to be heroic because this was going on. Like the movie's not about the transatlantic slave trade, but they wouldn't have been doing this. There would be no underground railroad without the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, so if I want to tell you about the heroism of people, you know, getting people out and stuff, I, it, that didn't happen at any other time. And you can't live life as a metaphor, meaning, meaning sci-fi or horror all the time. It's like you have to face some sort of reality. Do you think that that, that is uh, fear of facing reality, facing history, or fear of facing the grand almighty dollar that will not come? <laughs> in the you know, form of a ticket. I do know what black trauma porn is. And it's a very different thing for me. It's a certain lens on violence against black people. And for me, that lens has to do with intention. Who is the storyteller? So for me, I would have hoped that, you know, people, black people watching it would have given me the benefit of the doubt. Like if I've put violence against a black person on screen, it's intentional and there's a reason for it. Look into it and consider what's the reason that she's showing this violence. For me, it was because like my opening scene of the violence on the black woman, it's like, because nobody talks about the violence with which black women's labor is taken from them. I did Carolina change on Broadway, a maid on a marquee and the New York times hated it because they're like, who cares about this story? It's like um, without the labor of all these people of color, there's no America. So for me, it was important to show the violence with which our labor is taken. Whereas I watched a show, I watched two seasons of it. I quite enjoyed it. I love serial killer shows. But there was an aspect of it that to me was black trauma porn. The show is called We Hunt Together. And I'm sure that the writers thought they were doing some diversity, equity, inclusion. And they didn't stop to look at the fact that in this show, there's a white woman who's a sociopath. And in two seasons of the show, she convinces black men to kill people she doesn't like and then take responsibility solely for it and suicide themselves. That's black drama porn for me, you know, that they're going to sacrifice their life for this sociopath. And then the detectives that were um, investigating it was also a white woman and a black man. And the black man was married to a black woman. He had a family that he loved and adored. And his wife was pregnant by a white guy. I'm like, that's black trauma porn to me. Like every single black character in this story is somehow betrayed or throwing their life away. Um, but that's not considered black trauma porn. Tell everybody where they can find Red Pill. You can find Red Pill on Amazon, on Voodoo, on Fandango. You can find it for free on YouTube, but you have to watch it with commercials. It's on Tubi. It's on Comcast. It's on Xfinity. It's a lot of places. We close these shows with three questions. You know the answers. Don't panic. Question number one, you kind of already answered, but where do people find you and follow you online? Well, I'm at TanyaPinkins.com. And if in, you're in New York City, I'm doing Raisin in the Sun at the Public Theater this fall. We start performing September 27th. Congrats. That's awesome. The last two questions we ask is how we close every show. Question number two. 
two, technically, because we just did number one, who inspires you? Um, right now, someone who is inspiring me is a sculptor named Simone Lee. She's my shero of the moment. And the final question we ask to close our shows is really simple. It's not even a question. It's a statement. Don't sing it because I can't afford Shaka Khan and Rufus. Tell me something good. I can see you're mouthing it, but don't sing it. <laughs> um, something good. I think it's good that I try to live every day and be complete in my actions and what I say so that it each day could be a good day to die if I'm called to. Thank you, Tanya, for sharing your good. Tanya texted me after we finished recording. She remembered her theme song. It would be, it is, Endangered Species, sung by Diane Reeves. Hey, what's your theme song? Go get you a theme song. Next time on World Gone Good. I realize what music did for me. It wasn't just a comfort to me. Music gave me opportunity. It opened up doors for me. Jihan Kurska started playing piano as a small child, and then life did what life does. It got in the way, and she stopped playing. But when a chance to sit back down at the keyboard presented itself, she took it. And that moment reopened and reignited her true passion. She is the founder of Keys to Success, the nonprofit organization that brings music to inner city kids in Newark, New Jersey. She's making good happen one note at a time. And her story may just inspire you to do the same. Until then, be good. <laughs>